welcome to the great conversation where ideas matter. Ideas not only shape markets, they can change the world. We have with us today Annette White Klosowski. Annette has a unique background. She's not only the founder of Future Point of View, a boutique consultancy around strategy, innovation, and change, but she's also the owner uh, and CEO of the Women's Executive Board, uh, as well as Survey Census. There's so many different things, Annette, you have done and are doing. And uh, can you keep track of it all? That's what I'm interested <laughs> in. I can't. It does make sense when you kind of hear the, the winding path, but yes. Yes, I, I don't have to uh, look for anything to do, that's for sure. <laughs> but the, the intriguing thing, I was able to run into Annette, get connected uh, because of her husband and other founder of Future Point of View, Scott Klosowski. For you, those in the risk resilient security industry, he's spoken at the Great Conversation in Security events. Uh, but uh, I was talking to Scott about how I really wanted somebody who is used to dealing with leaders um, at the organizational strength level. Uh, how, how do you create a highly engaged workforce? And, uh, and, and the generational dynamic has changed in that. Um, it, 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 it's changed based on not only um, the point of view of our culture, uh, but also this thing that just gnaws at me. And that is, it seems like work has become something we do, not something we live for. What's going on out there in that? Well, I, I think there's, there's a few things, but the one chasm is we're in a networked economy, but we have leaders that didn't grow up in a networked economy. So it's, it's new for them. And so, you know, when you have 35 billion devices that are installed worldwide and you have this hyper connectivity, and I think it's like 70 or $80 trillion will be spent when, when your business is having to move and do it through this digital trans, transformation that we're having, but you don't address the internal makeup of your organization, your people, your processes, you have, you have an issue, you know, people then report in for a job because they're not engaged. They're not bought in. They don't agree with how things are run. Uh, you know, people are seeing that, um, you know, culture's transparent. You, you know, before, if you were applying or interviewing with a company, you were doing your own research. And if you happen to know somebody inside the walls, great. But now you can go and do all kinds of research on a company. It's all transparent. So I just think that uh, leaders that are middle-aged that, you know, just aren't, don't have a grasp of this networked, connected economy, they don't understand the generations that are coming in to work for them. And so they have a J-O-B and that's, you know, and they, they work to live and, and it's, it's switch, it's just switched that way. So, and there are some companies that get it. There's some companies that do get it and have made that change, but that's the big one, I think. And they're just not really in tune. And are, and are surveys the right vehicle to tap into that angst that's going on right now? Or, or are there other ways to tap into it to actually acknowledge what's going on here? Is it generational? Is it uh, uh, the sexual or a new sexual orientation of our workforce? You know, what, how do you advise leaders how to tap into one, getting a baseline? Where are we at on that level of engagement? 
and where are we going? How do you do that? Well, it's layered. And so it's not a one size fits all. I think it depends on uh, the leader, depends on what culture, like where you're starting, you know, so it's, it's not a one size fits all. Surveys are great, yes, um, to be able to get information. You should be able to know the pulse of things going, but you know, the larger the organization, the, the more removed you are from some lines of, of workers. And so I think I, I always use, a par I go back to parenting analogies because there's not just one way to parent and you know, each child's different. So you might parent children different, but if I were going to buy a car for a ch my child, my kid, uh, and I just picked the car out and negotiated the price and then said, Hey, here's your car there's no buy-in to that vehicle. They're going to drive it, right? They'll drive it because they want a means of, of transportation. If I include that child, that kid in the process of how would you make a decision on buying a car? What's important to you? You want a sunroof? Okay, well, that's more money. You know, how do you negotiate? And they have to actually go through the process. When they get that car, there's a different relationship they have with that car. They're, you know, they're, they're proud of that. And if they had skin in the game, if they had to pay for part of that car, really changes the game. And it's the same with employees. If you are just telling them, hey, sit in this, you know, this cubicle and this is your job, they're going to sit in the cubicle and do their job, right? There's no buy-in. If you bring them into the conversation about where they fit in, to the organization's success. You know, we may deliver X, we may sell this product, but here's why you're important. And you engage people, then at the end, they have a completely different relationship to their role in an organization, to where they're innovative. You know, you, you don't have to, you don't have to try to force values and culture and get people to behave a certain way because it, it's just automatically changed. But I think leaders use excuses of, you know, we're large. Uh, there's a lot of excuses, but, you know, we're large. Um, I think some hide behind technology, hide behind, you know, that. They, they don't know how to apply the effort to look for accountability and collaboration. They don't want to take the time. They want to make, you know, and good decision making in leaders is not one pace. And I think I spend a lot of time talking to leaders about there are different speeds for different decisions. And if you slow down to make decisions and involve your people in that process, first of all, they're learning how you think and how you make decisions, which is helpful. And then you also benefit from them being engaged and you don't have that chasm of, well, we weren't communicated. We didn't know. Um, now we understand why you might be going a different direction. And so I think leaders just get in this um, whirlwind and they don't slow down to really think about the dynamics that happen, you know, that fall out when you don't slow down. You know, it's really interesting because as I listen to you, this art that has to be learned by everybody, whether you're employees, managers, <laughs> leaders, this art of the conversation. Right. Yeah. 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 So, so it almost seems that this essential skill isn't happening before you enter the workforce. Yeah, that's true. That's true. So if that's the case, how do you teach the culture, including the leaders, how to have a great conversation? 
Well, I, there's different conversations. <clears throat> I think if there's emotion and stakes are high, then you really have to approach a conversation differently. So, you know, you really have to, I always tell people to imagine a pool in between the two of you and make sure you have that person fill that pool completely up before you get positional or try to tell them something um, or push your agenda. You know, it's, it's, it's the seek first to understand kind of mentality is, and most of the time I would say 80% or more when you slow down to do that technique, you have a better understanding of the situation, why a person is where they are and the conversation's different. Um, because otherwise it's just made the best debater win. And if you're the leader, you're going to win because of position and that proves nothing, you know, over time, then all you have to do it, you feel like you're constantly having to, um, win the debate to get somebody to do something. So that, I mean, that's one conversation. If, if it's a conversation of, um, you know, change, you're trying to get your company to adapt to change or, to buy into a strategy, then it's, it's pretty simple. It's them understanding, listening, involving them in the conversation so that they feel like their voice is valued and what they do is valued. Um, it just is a game changer. Um, it's not real complicated to have the conversation, uh, but what happens is when you're the leader, and, and I think leaders underestimate how they're perceived, people don't always feel comfortable sharing, opening up, doing things. And if you shoot the messenger, if you pull your rank, if you react a certain way, you're, you're creating the culture of, of is innovation. Can you speak up? Um, I remember coaching somebody that said they had an open door policy. And I said, well, it's only open door. If people will walk through it. So how many people are coming through because your door could be open but an open door policy means, you know, there, it is acceptable to walk in and talk about anything. You know, I, you, I, I am open to you coming in. And so people think they have that, but they don't create that at all. So it, it takes effort. And I also feel this part of a business, the culture, the people, is overlooked because it's not somebody's day job. You know, a leader has their day job of what they're doing. If they're a CFO, if they're a CEO, if they're a chief admin officer, uh, if they're a manager over client services, whatever, that's their day job. It, it's, it's a whole, it's another level of layer of job. And so you really have to be mindful and intentional. And I'm really tool agnostic. So I really don't care what tools you use it's, it's, they're all part of, of creating a language. So if you use a Myers-Briggs or a disc or a survey, you're choosing a language. And what happens is we teach a language and then we never speak it. So, or we decide, you know, we spoke that language, now we're going to speak a different language. And so tools are just tools and, you know, you have to use them. They have to be integrated. And so less is more. And most of the time your meeting structures uh, how you operate as a leader, the, those types of things I'll start with before I'll really start with any kind of tool or assessment or survey uh, to see what's going on. Um, but, you know, it's, it's, it's a consistent thing. And, and the younger generation, which really I don't think our organizations are going to fill 
a generation gap. We have a large percentage that have grown up in that digital economy. Um, they've had, you know, iPhones since they've been in third grade. They have an expectation of getting feedback uh, quickly. And so, you know, you, you just don't have the, the gaps anymore that we did in our generations. And so you really have to be open to trying new things and being, you know, I guess susceptible to switching, you know, a lot. But the great thing is these younger generations, they're fine with that. They can switch, they can utilize different tools, they can go here. And so, you know, it's like there's plus and minuses to all of that. Yeah. Uh, give me an example because language is so important. Um, you know, you can, I walk in the door of a company and there may be values on the wall. So, you're right. There, there's, yeah. your, there's your 10 commandments, right? Exactly. So it's on the wall. And, uh, and yet, how, how do you, you sit down, when, when the leaders pull you in, what's the common problem they're stating to you for why you're there? It is normally, I think, around change, getting people to move quicker, change, adapt, um, it's very rarely like bad behavior or, um, and, and it's very rarely, Hey, we would like to start off and do things on the front end, you know, with strategy. And, and it's usually there's some pain, there's some friction and it's always about getting a team on the same page or teams not working well together. Uh, you know, we've, we've, uh, have the wrong people, the wrong seats. We don't want to lose people. So it's usually around something like that that uh, when I'm brought in to work with a group. Right, and then, uh, and then quickly you're saying the common, uh, the common uh, causation of all that is a lack of common language? I, I think so, or like you say, people will have values on their wall. And so what I always do is say, okay, you say um, integrity you and about what 500 other thousand companies say integrity. So if I were to see that in action to repeat it in this organization, what does that look like? And then they start saying, well, you know, we get back with people in, you know, a certain amount of time. We don't overcharge people um, when they want to sign up for something, but we audit their account and figure out we can push them back. I'm like, Oh, so those are your values different level than we just have integrity because integrity to one person could be, I didn't steal anything from the office today. <laughs> you know, integrity from somebody else could be a lot deeper. So you really have to, what is it? I, I there's a saying that says, um, if, if it was a silent movie, you know, if there was a silent movie, would you understand how this organization works and what they value? Like we didn't have to use words and it's a great analogy because you see what people are doing. And that is where kind of the magic is, is in, in the, what people do, not what we say, but you have to spend time really thinking about how do I recognize that value being played out? And then, cause then that's repeatable. And then if you, if you go, okay, so at a manager level, this is what we expect. Here's what we want to see. You know, if you want to be a VP level, people know then what's expected of them. And so I, I think it's really getting back. You know, we do that in parenting, right? 
We teach our kids what's acceptable, what's not acceptable. You know, we don't jump on furniture. We don't do this, but you know, we don't say, you know, we, we respect all things because kids are going to say, okay, what does that mean? You know? And so it's the same for organizations. You really have to get in um, and understand what they're looking for. And I think leaders, you know, they, they have grown up in an organization, have had all this experience, and then they set the rules. They forget, you know, they forget that what happened for them growing up and what the gaps were. Are you often called in by the HR department? You know, it's sometimes, but more likely the C-suite. Um, mm -hmm. and, and for me, I reached a point in my career where if you don't have buy-in from the top, you know, don't just don't waste your money because people are way smarter than that. If, you know, I was called in by an organization and I remember by HR and they wanted to do a culture survey and 360s. And I said, well, you know, until I meet with the CEO, I, you know, I'm probably not your person. So we get in a room and it was very clear the CEO could care less about all of that. He was not going to be involved and he did not value that. He just wanted people to do their jobs. And so I said, well, then do not waste your money on doing a culture survey. You're going to do more harm than good. You know, you, you operate different and you're, so don't speak a different language. <clears throat> and so it kind of through a couple of experiences like that, I learned, you know, I'm not a good fit. Um, I mean, I could take your money, I guess, but I'm not a good fit for an organization if the top does not buy in and really want to make a change or seize a connection um, for that. And I don't like to jump in and just throw a bunch of stuff at people because they all have day jobs. And so you've got to slow down a little bit. Have you ever had an experience? This is intriguing to me. You ever had an experience where it was obvious the CEO, the leader wanted to just go through the motions, fake it till you make it, um, and you were able to turn them around and let them see what they were doing. Yes. I, I've had a few, I've had a few, and I would even say like a leadership team even, um, where, you know, the, not only did the CEO not buy into it, but the leadership team knew this was a waste of time because the, the CEO didn't buy into it. But one, so I've had that experience. I had one where, um, he, he was third in command. It was a large organization I started coaching him. He was very disrespectful to me, you know, didn't show up for the coaching sessions. Um, I would sit in the, his staff meetings. It was very clear. And then he wanted all these things because he's checking off a box, right? He's checking off a box. And um, so I, you know, I really had to say, look, you know, I, I don't need to coach you. <laughs> I'm, I, I don't need to coach you. You know, you have, you have all these issues. You have turnover issues, you have a, a division that can't get past these certain issues. So either you're going to address them or not. And, and then I had, he was a big golfer. So I had to use the, you know, back then it was Tiger Woods was the big golfer. I said, Tiger has coaches for a lot of, a lot of aspects of his game. He even has a coach for the psychological aspect of his game. So you can either, you know, you know, trust this process or, or not, but I'm not going to be here if you're not going to trust the process because it's not going to work. And, and you've probably had experience. And so, um, and I told him, you know, I said, I, 
my time is valuable. You know, if you stand me up one more time, I understand, you know, you may be busy. It, it takes two seconds to send a message to somebody. So um, I won't work with you because you, you know, you're going to be the problem. And so um, he was not very kind at that point, um, but he did call me back and he did walk through a lot of steps and brought his team in and it got worse before it got better. Um, we did not do 360s because I told him, I said, here's exactly what you're going to find out. So let's just fix some of these things before we open that up. Um, and, you know, we were able to, I was able to work with that group for, for years. Um, you know, he still, you know, he still was rough around the edges and gruff and, uh, you know, had issues with people, but he at least empowered people and, um, he made the decisions to get rid of the people that he couldn't work with. So, you know, we made some, some, um, some progress, but it's really hard. It's really hard to take somebody that's not receptive of that and try to turn them. And it's a personality trait, right? It's a scotoma. They're, 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 yes. they're, they're not self-reflective. No. Yeah. And they usually don't respect, you know, a person that doesn't mirror kind of that intensity or you have to be strong enough to call them on that. Um, and it's exhausting. I mean, quite frankly, it's exhausting trying to, you know, uh, work with somebody like that. Um, and the turnover, you know, the nice thing about a survey or assessment or something, which is great is you get the data. So I don't have to sit with somebody and say, well, it appears to me or what I sense from you, you know, I could just say, well, here's the data. Here's what, you know, your culture survey, this is what they're saying. It's a lot easier, but you have to be careful because if there's not trust in an organization, um, you know, it, sometimes you can cause a lot of harm going in trying to work. And so I try to go off of anything formal like that to see if there can be some transition in mindset before we open up, you know, a lot of that. So you also have a front row seat. You've done an amazing job with this women's executive board and, uh, and you have a front row seat that as women begin to take their place in leadership, uh, across, across the country. Um, are women different leaders than men? I, I think so. You know, I started doing, um, the round tables in the nineties and in the beginning they were co-ed and I would, the process I follow, you really have to be vulnerable and transparent and to kind of talk about, it's not the chamber of commerce speech, right? When you're in front of people and I would get with, and it really was both either side. I, I would get what was really going on. We would get into the meeting to do the presentation and the story got watered down. Nobody was really willing to be transparent, which is, what led us to split the genders at that time. And then the conversation changed on both sides. So that's really kind of how I entered it. And, um, and, and I do believe, I mean, there's a lot of research that, um, you know, there are women leaders are different, but it's a little more complex. I, I look at it as there's masculine and feminine energy and men and women both have that. So, you know, I have worked with women that are very masculine, how they lead, couldn't tell the difference, um, you know, in, in their leadership style in a man. And then I've worked with, you know, complete feminine leaders that are men, you know, that have the same issues. And so I think it, 
it, it's a little more complex than just I'm a female or I'm a, a male. But, you know, when I work with them on that masculine versus feminine energy and in its language, it, there's a lot of things that happen with that. Um, it, it's really, I think it's a game changer for them to see because if you really go back to how organizations were structured um, hierarchy, it, it was like, I think it was in the 1800s, late 1800s that, that the Oxford dictionary was like the first time that word appeared. And it was really adopted by the military from a reference into the three orders and the three angels. It was like the fifth, sixth centuries Well, the military adopted that structure, that hierarchy. And then when outside of that, when organizations started to build, organizations just modeled off the military, which is command and control, completely different structure because they needed to make a decision at the top, have no friction until it gets to the field. And so that's how our, so our organizations are structured in a masculine way with masculine language and it's a command and control. And then we have leaders now with this whole new generation working and they're wondering why they're having issues. So, you know, I go back to, um, you know, I think women have come a long way. I'm also involved in the Women Presidents Organization, which is international. I uh, chair the Oklahoma, my state's um, chapter. And it's, it's fascinating to see um, what women have really accomplished, you know, and there are lots of stats of, you know, they uh, grow, their businesses aren't growing as fast as men. Um, and I know that all exists, you know, I know that all exists out there. I have been blessed to be in a situation where I get to see the other side. I get to see the women that are successful, that are doing great things and starting businesses, working, you know, in key leadership roles. And so I'm a little bit protected from probably the other side of that. But, but I, I would say it's more masculine and feminine and you have to really, each leader needs to see um, how they're, you know, how they lead. And then that has a dynamic with who you're leading, right? So if I'm masculine and I'm leading a feminine energy person, there'll be a conflict. If it's masculine to masculine, you know, we might see eye to eye. And so it's, it's a really good, um, it's a really good perspective to try to understand about yourself. What I love about uh, your company future point of view is the name. And so yeah. I'm going to ask you something that it relates to the name of your company. And it's a little bit of a curveball and we can do it together, um, not put you on the spot. But if you were to ask a leader three questions to determine how their, how, what their worldview looks like as a leader. Mm -hmm. And, and uh, we already know kind of what, their future point of view should look like. But right. what, how do you create that baseline? How, what are the th questions you would ask anybody that would give you right away, heads up on what kind of leader this, this person is, woman or man? I, I think what, what they see is um, most important for their company to be thriving in 10 years. Like what, what does that look like? Um, Will they be delivering their service the same way? Is there going to be any disruptors? Um, and then, you know, how they answer that tells you pretty much if they're a, we've always done it this way. Um, you, you'll get a lot uh, from that, just that question. 
Um, I also talk about the next gen workforce quite a bit. That would be another question is what does that next generation of workforce because it's not a generation, it's much more a mindset now, which we have talked about. You know, it's it's the reskilling, it's working differently, it's redefining the world of expertise. And so a lot of people in leadership positions happen to be older and how they were trained for their expertise is way different now. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there, there will be CFOs that use AIs. You know, that's my husband talks about this a lot where you know, they, when they go to interview, it'll be, but here are the AIs I'm bringing and here's how I process what I do. Well, you know, older CFO guys like what, what's an AI? And so just, just understanding, you know, that I think asking them what they see, the trends that are, that are coming, you know, not far off there that are already on the conveyor belt that we're seeing, how are those going to impact your um, organization, your industry? And then another one, we talk a lot about humology, which is human and technology. What percent of human and technology needs to be applied to X? So, um, if you think about toll booths, you know, before they were manned booths, right? A person, you drive up, you gave them the money, they evolved to change machines, and now it's completely digital to where, and now you have states connected, right? Where I could drive to a number of states and my toll tag picks up and I get a bill for that. So there's a lot of areas of organization, you know, where do you apply technology and where, where is it a human? Because you know, the leaders that go, well, robots will never take over my industry. You know, they're never going to be in my place. It's just like, okay, well, why do you say that? Uh, Because you don't want to learn that or you believe, you know, and they'll say things like, well, we value our people more. And so you really start understanding where they're going to be held up, you know, what, where those kind of limitations are for them to, to be able to get past. And so, those are just a few questions like off the top of my, my mind. And, you know, I may ask to, you know, at your level that you've been at, let's say they've been at that level for 10 years. What's the common recurring thing that comes up with you dealing with people? Cause that tells you something too, you know, like, well, people always say I'm unapproachable or I get that, you know, I'm really hard to work for a lot, or I'm a pushover. I'm not, you know, whatever they tell you tells you a little bit about their style too. Um, And, you know, and sometimes you'll get an evolved person that will kind of tell you the evolution of their leadership. Uh, You know, this happened. I learned this. I've evolved to this. Now I operate completely different, which tells you something too about that person. How fascinating. If I take every one of those five things you just gave me, What's fascinating, they all have to do with change. Yeah, yeah. How, how, how interesting, especially in this world that's moving so rapidly at the, at the cultural level, at the technology level, at the environmental level. This change thing, I think you're tapping into things, five ways of looking at change in your questions for these leaders that will determine whether they're ready to take their company to a new level. Yeah. You know, that's, it's, you know, what's interesting is just the time that we're in where organizations did not have a lot of time to remove to full remote workforces. 
it's interesting because it's not like that technology is new. It's not like that concept's new. We, that is, you know, some companies get it and are thriving and some companies are like, nope, here's the clock. You clock in, clock out, you know, sit in your desk until 5, 5.30 and then leave. And then all of a sudden that, you know, in order to keep moving forward, how fast did the organizations figure that out? And they put people home, they figured out how, you know, to look for accountability. Oh, people are actually productive. People are happy. You know, they started looking at all of this. And now the question is, now what are we going to do? So they're asking the questions that, why weren't they asking those questions, you know, years ago? And, and they're learning that they're engaging at a different level. And um, my groups, my executive groups, we met weekly for a while when um, kind of the pandemic and everything hit because nobody really knew, you know, it was just changing so quickly. So uh, it's, it's interesting that a lot of them say, well, we've established this cadence and we're going to keep it. You know, we're going to keep this meeting. We've completely restructured how we're meeting. Um, you know, they, we, there are some companies that are completely liquidating real estate and putting that money back into their workforce. So they've seen where, you know, people are more productive, they're happy, uh, they, you know, they can save a lot of money. And I, I don't know, I'd have to check this stat, but it's like a thousand dollars per person you save a month by being virtual. So, I mean, you know, if you've got 20,000 people, that's, that's a lot of money. That's a lot of money to save. So it's, but what's fascinating to me is there's nothing new that, you know, caused that disruption as far as technology strategy um, you know, people now are like, oh no, our accounting systems, we got to be in the cloud. We've got to, you know, we got to move quick and, and they did it and it's going to be much more efficient. All of that's changed. And it was res being resistant to doing something a different way and, or not having a leader that can, can move through that. And I think, you know, what we've just experienced is great because if you ever wanted to have a mentorship program in place or reverse mentorship, it probably just happened naturally where the younger people stepped up, you know, got zoom going and, you know, helped other people get connected with collaboration tools. And so um, it, that's been fascinating to watch and that's all about change. Right. It's all about change. It's so funny because, you know, something like NLP, natural lingu linguistic processing, right? how people communicate, how they consume information. That's been around forever. Now there's new tools in a remote workforce. You and I have been able to harness this Zoom call where we are looking right at each other and you're not, you're, you're about a similar distance as you would be in my office if you were here physically. So I'm very comfortable that I feel like I'm having a relationship with you right now. That couldn't have happened five years ago. Yeah, yeah. Right? So, so that's okay. unique. And, but, but we have to teach people how to use these tools. Otherwise you can't simulate that experience. Yeah. Yeah. The person's, exactly. looking, the person's looking at a screen over here because that's where his data is and you're over here and it's, it, it doesn't feel connected. And yeah. so I think as we learn these tools even more, we'll, we'll, uh, we'll get over the fact that you're not physically here. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. I agree. It, it's a mindset, you know, it's just shifting your mindset. And I'll never forget the time. Um, it was probably eight, nine years ago. And I was sitting in a team meeting, which we call alignment meetings. And I remember a young person said, 
during new business time, hey, uh, we need to not send email internal. Internally, we need, you know, I, we should, should not be sending email. And in my head, I'm thinking, how do you work? <laughs> like, how does that work? You're not going to send email? And so, you know, of course, we were following our process of betting out, okay, well, what does that look like? How, you know, in my head, it's a completely, it's like, no, that's not going to happen. Uh, and, and when we, and that's when kind of collaboration tools were hitting the, the market. And so we did a, okay, well, you guys set up the collaboration center. Um, I'm going to need the dummies class for that. Like, I, you know, and I need somebody that can help walk me through, okay, when I'm just going to send an email and attachment that takes me two seconds, what do I do? And it, it kind of looked like, you know, everybody would follow up my emails and put it in the collaboration center for a while, right? They, they were doing it for me. And then it clicked. It clicked for me and I got it and have not gone back since. But you know, as a leader, you have to open yourself up to learn the tools and learn something new. And, um, you know, I think leaders hide behind the I'm busy, I'm really busy and overwhelmed. And I go, that's not a thing. Like, that's really not a thing that that's a label. But it's not, a, that's not anything. It's, you know, if you peel it back, it would be, you know, I have a lot to do. And it's all in my head, I can't focus or you need a break or something. So when I coach people, uh, you know, I tried to say when they, I write down all the label things and I'm like, okay, these aren't things. These really aren't things because people have been exhausted and climbed, you know, the highest mountain in the world. So being exhausted doesn't keep you from doing something. So what, what is it? Right. And so as a leader, I think you have to be willing to, as I say, teach an old dog, new tricks. You just have to be willing to learn and, and, what helps your team for the engagement is let the people that are passionate about those things teach you that, you know, you've got young people that they'll do your entire onboarding process. If you let them, they'll do videos of, Hey, when I started, I didn't have these tools or this, I didn't know this. So I'm going to put the video together and I'm going to put it in the library. So when Joe starts next week, he doesn't have that problem. But you know, it's that, you know, leaders don't let go and allow that because they don't want to look bad that they don't know something. And, um, you know, it, and it's all around change. I think you hit that on the head. It's really about change. Right. So, uh, Annette, first of all, great conversation. Appreciate it. Is there anything you would recommend as far as reading or podcasts or anything like that for this audience today? Um, there's a lot of really good content out there. Um, uh, you know, my husband has the digital optimist. So if you're really, his podcast is really about the technology and I think it helps leaders get their hands around technology. Um, I do leader spotlight where you get to hear the stories of leaders, which I think helps. Um, I would say if you can get into kind of a peer advisory group of some sort, that's the best. Um, I'm writing a book and my book will be out the first of the year. And it's really about, um, you know, who and how you get feedback and input is vital. And so my philosophy is I listen to people that are in the ring with me. So, you know, if you're just a participant on the side or you're just in the audience or the crowd and um, kind of your input doesn't have a lot of weight, I want people that are actually doing what's working now. And so the book is all about that, about getting the people that are in the, the, the flows of what's working now, 
you know, like the, the road to success is through the swamp. So it's like, we're all in the swamp together. So let's help each other. So I think reading anything like that, um, I think that's helpful because, you know, if you've read one leadership book, you've read them all. Um, sure. And there's a lot of, do what? When's the book come out? Um, it'll be out in January. Well, why don't, why don't we do this? I'm, you haven't told me the title yet. I'm going to just put in parentheses through the swamp. Okay. <laughs> I like that. So, so let's come back and talk about through the, through the swamp when you're getting ready to release the book. So okay. everyone, That'd be everyone, great. Knows, everyone knows how to access it and so forth. I'm sure you're going to go through like Amazon or something like that. Yes. Right? Okay. Yes. And so, yeah, oh. and I would love, I mean, I'd love to interview. I'm, I'm interviewing people now uh, for not only stories for the podcast, but also for the book to be, to share in the book. Um, Cause I think that's important. Um, sure. You know, if, if a leadership book were to solve problems, then nobody would have problems, right? It's, uh -huh. I tried to apply that model or, you know, I'm in the throes of it and this happens. So, so you're, so you're still looking for people to interview? Yes. Yes, okay. I am. So what kind of type of person who's listening right now, who are you looking forward to share their stories? Um, I, somebody that is in the swamp, you know, that has learned a lot of lessons that's open to talking about wow, I really wasn't very smart when I started that. Um, you know, the best at what they do, because those are the people that um, learn the lessons and fail forward. So, you know, anybody that's leading a team, you know, that is started a company, you know, in those throes of, of business. You got it. You got it. Okay. So you see level leaders and your uh, next generation leaders. If you're listening, uh, we'll put Annette's, uh, and that's contact information on the website so you can get a hold of her if you're interested in working through the swamp with her. Through the swamp, yeah, that's great. <laughs> and then anybody we should be inviting to the table now that you've listened uh, to a great conversation interview, uh, who would you invite to the table next? Who do you want to hear from? Wow, um, there's so many really good people. Um, there is, uh, have you talked with Angela Duckworth? Uh, she wrote Grit. 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 Uh huh. And it's kind of the power of passion and perseverance. Um, I think that uh, I, I like that book a lot. Um, there is another lady that would be fascinating. She kind of came up early on as kind of a, a woman in the retail space uh, and ran, worked at Macy's, and uh, Mindy Meads is her name. Uh, and she had been at uh, Victoria's Secret. Um, Aristotle, there was a couple other companies that she led as CEO and then moved out as advisor and doing some other things sure. now. What's her last name again? Meads, M-E-A-D-S. I can connect you. Yeah, fantastic. I think that would be fascinating. I think that'd be fascinating. It'd be a great follow through after, uh, after having this fun discussion with you. Yeah, this you'd like her. She's good. She's, she's a lot of fun. Well, this has been a great conversation with Annette. Koloski and uh, White Koloski, sorry, Annette, Annette White Koloski. And I, I got to tell you, it, for those of you um, who are interested, uh, I think these five questions all of us should be asking ourselves about how we handle change and, and the different nuances around change is fascinating. And I can't wait for the feedback from the community. Thank you, Annette, so much. Well, thank you for having me on.